Hello. Hello, Merlin. Hi, Dan. How's everything uh, going way up there? Fine. Fine, fine. Fine. It's early, but it's good. It's good. Yeah. How are things there? I mean, good. It's, um, it's, it's less early here. That's true. You do get the benefit of that. Yeah. But at nighttime, when I want to be awake and, and it's late, you're still early. Huh. Huh. You think it's all about context? I mean, everything's relative. I don't know if that's contextual or not. Is everything relative? Yeah. Everything is a typical. remix. Typic, huh. Typical, yeah. uh, typical mid-coast liberal. Yeah. Rel- <laughs> relativist. Yes. You are correct. Yeah. The uh, this hurricane has has been a goddamn shame, but oh, at least man. it does remind people that Central Time exists. You know, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. I wouldn't count on Mountain Time making a lot of uh, progress anytime soon. No, probably not. No, no. What? Um, uh, this is going to be a weird one. I, I've got uh, huh? <laughs> huh? I said, is it? Mm. Yeah, I think it, it might be. I, I don't have I don't have really much of anything prepared, and I I, I have one incredibly unnecessary uh, bit of follow up, <clears throat> and then I have uh, I have a lot of things I, I probably am n- uh, not ready to talk about yet, but but I'm but I'm exploring. Okay, I'm an explorer. I explore. Well, no, no. What's going on in your neck of the woods? What are you doing these days? Stimulate me. Wow. Um... I mean, you I've been do, doing. Um, you do podcast things. You do fireside things. Yeah. Yep. You I've do been parent doing, things. Yeah. You you uh, work out. Yeah. Just actually got done. I had to fit it in sometime. Mm-hmm. Like when people think about us, obviously they think about us being in the same room because we are. We're sitting across from each other at that table in the yeah. MacWorld um, office. Yeah. Well, they're they're fumigating Coit Tower somewhere. <laughs> Private so, office is closed for now. But like, I always imagine you. The way I imagine you is you've got on three to four layers at any given time. You got your jeans, sneakers, socks. That's not a layer. I'm talking about upstairs. You've got like a Mm t-shirt, usually the Captain America Mm t-shirt. Then you've Mm -hmm. got Mm -hmm. like a long sleeve, maybe t-shirt over that. Maybe you have the long sleeve t-shirt on first and then the Captain America over it. So you've got the sleeves out and then you got a sweatshirt on and your backpack. That's how I imagine you recording with maybe sometimes... Even I could see putting a baseball cap on. Um, I guess what it, I what, what, it depends on what you count as a layer, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think it's all contextual, but boy, you pretty much nailed it in a way that's frankly kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wearing I'm wearing jeans, but I, I have a um. Uh, who, who's our friend who makes the sports ball shirt? Is that uh, is that Jory? I've got a yeah. um. I got a sports ball. T-shirt because I like the Cotton Bureau uh, shirts, and over that, of course, I have a Mac Weldon long sleeve uh, T-shirt. And I can't wear a hat right now. I'm hatless. Repeat hatless uh, because I, I can't put on my cans. I don't get a good seal with yeah. my cans if if I'm I'm behatted. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's factual. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I don't know. We just got to see where this goes. You know. Because I think people need a good, solid image of what's really going on. I would prefer they didn't. I would. I would rather seem like just just a, just a disembodied, a disembodied person. floating head, maybe. Yeah, maybe like uh, Ian McKellen as the the great intelligence <laughs> in that really good Doctor Who episode called The Snowman. Just think of me as a big snow machine, 
you know, Richard E. Grant works for me, you know, and he's out there. And then you get to get the nanny who ends up in the ice, no spoilers, but just to give me a Z and McKellen, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. So I've been working through these uh, Bond movies again with my son, who's now Ooh, old enough cool. to enjoy them. So that's another thing that we've been doing. And, and you know, it's, it's really interesting to watch these things. Because as you remember, with Gruber, I went and we did the... Uh, we that did like fantastic. all of the Bond movies. And every week we would talk about a different Bond movie. And what's weird is some of them... I remember very vividly from that time, which was not that long ago. I mean, it was... Um, Eight or 10 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, like, <clears throat> that would be long enough that I would still remember, you would think, I would still remember watching them. But uh, some of remember them are... The, remember the knees, the knees in the bathtub? Yeah, yes. <laughs> remember him dressed as a clown? Remember yes. that? <laughs> I mean, there's so much... A lot of skiing, a lot of skiing. A lot of skiing. I had no idea there was that much skiing. There's so much skiing in these movies. And, you know, the effects are are universally, I mean, bad. And they, I, what I want to do, and, and my son and I keep talking about this, is like we want to go back in time and interview someone from that time and say, was this movie like the movies did, most of them did very well, but like, I want to go back and say, did they do well? Like, were they, were people taking them seriously? Like, were the effects good? Or was it just like a, as you would say, a, a yuck fest where people are just, you know, laughing and having fun with it? Or like, was it, is it serious? Like, were the effects good? Like when, when uh, Sean Connery as like, Bond rolls time. out in a dune buggy, was that cool? Like, did people say, oh man, that's like a cool dune buggy? Or were they like, that's absurd. That's, you know, like, what was the reaction? What was the zeitgeist on that? Yeah, there's stuff with movies, maybe in particular, I would say movies and music or two that come to mind for me, where it's it's impossible to understand, again, with the context, um, it's, it's virtually impossible to understand what something felt like at the time. Uh, there's been an interesting um, kind of uh, limited series on Slate podcasts, and it's just different episodes about stuff that happened in 1977. And um, the, the show itself is pretty good, but I, I really like the sort of members only. Like, uh, there's they do they do a, like a public podcast, and then they do like behind this episode podcast. It's mm -hmm. really good. So they did one about 1977 and being like the year of. So like Jaws was 75, but 77 is when block summer blockbusters really broke. You know, uh, you think about especially Star Wars. And the merchandising and just how it was everywhere, yeah. close encounters and all this kind of stuff. And um, and they're saying, like, you know, it's it's impossible to go back and watch the 1977 movie called Star Wars. And really, for, I mean, I was there. I saw it, this, I think, the second week that it was out, like first week of June maybe. And had no idea what to expect. And, of course, I was just blown on my ass. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, it was... But you, it's difficult to remember how unusual that movie felt at the time. And like in similar ways, um, another uh, podcast that I like, uh, Blank Check, was talking about uh, – they're doing the films of John Carpenter right now. Oh, They're excellent. talking about like when, uh, when Halloween came out. And there's, there's like a three-hour episode with this director. It's really interesting. And he provides – like an hour of that episode is just him providing context for – you can't understand Halloween without understanding a bunch of other stuff. That really like – so you got Psycho in 61 or 2. You've got Rosemary's Baby in 68. And you've got all these like – you've got Son of Sam. You've got Ted Bundy. You've got – 
David Berkowitz. You've got all this, you know, the rise of uh, famous serial killers. Before that, it was all all day, all night, Ed Gein. All you ever heard about was Ed Gein. <laughs> and, and, of course, he was the inspiration for um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and others. But anyway, I do think about that a lot, how, you know, you take something like Blade Runner, and which certainly had its, you know, it's inspired by lots of stuff, but... You know, I think I mentioned this maybe last week, talking about reminiscence. Like, it's so hard to do a futuristic noir and not have it feel like even like a little bit like a Blade Runner ripoff. Oh yeah, I mean, it's going, it's going to. You're absolutely right. You're totally right. <laughs> or Alien might be another one from around the same time. Um, but and then, but to, also to your point with, with your son, it's also interesting to go like, did this effect seem more plausible then? Right. Exactly. Like that. Like when like when people saw that, were they looking at it like, like yeah, that's reasonable or that's pretty cool or was it just was it like, oh god, that's horrible? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be like you know Ultraman level of effects where you'd go like, oh well, obviously that's a guy in a suit. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do, I do think it's interesting. And, and of course it's completely not interesting to try and like explain that to somebody else. You could even show somebody like a uh, Buster Keaton movie, like the general and just be like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting wound up in the whole practical effects thing, but like, it's, it's pretty amazing to think about movies that were made in the twenties that still have some kind of currency today. Right. Sure. And in that case, you could see, well, God, this guy's just doing these these insane stunts. There's no reason he should be alive at this point. <laughs> so, so how far did you do again in chronological order? Are you doing? Yeah, in chronological order? order. And he actually asked me last night. He's like, "So, is there like another order, like a you know machete order?" He didn't use the term, but I'm using it for the sake of our audience. And and I said, uh, I said, yes. There's really, if you wanted to watch them in the order that they happened, I said, really, the only thing that would change is oh. we would have to watch. Um, Casino Royale. Casino Royale would have to come first because technically the, that's the, the the Daniel Craig, the Casino Daniel Craig Royale. movie, but not I the fe- David, not the David Niffen. No, but I felt like it would be jarring to start with such a a modern and interesting film and then kind of downgrade to like Doctor No, which is I mean a borderline like a film. I mean, but the interesting thing is like le- like last night we just started um. A View to a Kill, which is a late 80s Bond film. And in fact, it's the one that I've seen the most. I've seen it many, many, many times. And that is not because I like it. All I remember like is it. Duran Duran did correct. the song. Yes, sir. You are correct. Is View to a Kill, is that, is that Roger Moore? No. Yes. It is It okay. is Roger Moore's last film before the, um, uh, uh, why do I want to say Dalton era? Um, why can I not remember the, oh my gosh. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Thank you. And, um, and Pierce Brosnan. Pierce right? Brosnan after that, who I who to me didn't seem as much like Bond as he seemed like Remington Steele, but I was fine with that. I thought that was fine. Um, mm. it, but <clears throat> so what's interesting is, you know, in in watching these, the first this is the first one that actually feels at all like a modern film. Um, it feels mm. like a film that not, I won't say could have been made today, but it has more in common with films that are made today than it has in common with films that were made like Dr. No time period, or really any of the movies before it, like the filming of it looks, it looks better. It looks more modern. The use of green screen is significantly reduced. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just, I'm not saying that it like holds up as a great movie, but it it definitely doesn't feel, it doesn't feel super old com- when, when viewed in context of looking at all the other ones. So mm-hmm. that part I thought was fairly interesting, but there's so much in these movies that you're like, yeah, that, how did that get in? How did that stay? Why was that not taken out? You know, like it, even more so than the last time that I watched these with John, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me. And, and yet they're still beloved by so many people. They're still, the franchise still continues. And mm-hmm. I remember I was talking to Andy Anatko many, many years ago um, on, on a show that we were doing and I had brought up the issue of in the comic books, why do we see so many essentially like retelling of uh, of what is essentially the same story over and over again? You know, like the same character, the same character's um, origin story just told again. You know, why why no new characters or why so few new characters? And he pointed out, he said, you know, because they just don't sell because people are just not they're just not that interested in a new character. They they seem to be drawn to the same old characters. And when you think about it, like we've got all these Avengers movies and the Spider-Man movies and all these things that are coming out now. And man, like Spider-Man's been around for longer than almost anyone has been alive at this point, if you think mm-hmm. about it. Like, and that's crazy that that's that story, the same origin story, the same characters, the same villains, the, many of the same problems are just retold over and over again. I don't know. I just, I think reinventing Bond is interesting because they do that with a new actor. And sometimes they act like the things that have happened before have happened. Like James Bond's wife died. Right. Like, Has spoiler. continuity or, or not. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I just, well, I that was in, that uh, that's in the George Lazenby one, right? Yeah. There's Lazenby's only film. Uh, and that's Diana that's, Rigg dies in it. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it's, you know, it's pretty interesting. And the closest they get to even addressing this is uh, later. I think Roger Moore is shown visiting her grave briefly. Um, and that's the only acknowledgement. And it's weird because in some situations, it's almost like they're not really even, um, they don't even acknowledge that they're, the other movies did exist. And then in other ones, they absolutely did exist. So it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. I feel like, I mean, I can, I can speak for myself that I have, uh, whether I think it's wholesome or not, I do have a fair amount of nostalgia for certain sorts of things. And, but it's interesting to me how in different sort of um, fiction genres, people have differing amounts of nostalgia and differing sorts of nostalgia. And like, so sometimes nostalgia can be like, oh, I really like, I like some, um, like, it could just be like, I like the cold open in the da 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 da. I like the gun barrel. Or yeah, right. I like it when James Bond throws his hat onto the rack. Yeah. Or like when he gets the, uh, the tour of all the gadgets and stuff like that. Um, but, it's, you know, I think with comics, it's pretty uncontroversial to say that, well, I mean, I don't know. I think one, one thing comics, comics has had a challenge for a long time f- on a lot of fronts. And one of them is how do you get the right balance of even for a moment setting? Let's set aside for a moment the franchise stuff and the fact that, you know, at least as far as I know from inside information, very few Marvel uh, artists and writers are, are uh, uh, allowed, let alone encouraged, to create their own characters. 
because, you know, that's then they would get some money from that. And, oh, God, God forbid Bill Mantelo gets money for, you know, Rocket Raccoon or whatever. But, you know, it's uh, it's such a funny thing to try and get right. How do you – and when I think of myself going through my adult – biggest adult comics phase, 2012 to maybe 14. And I was very attracted to, like, one of the – was, like, going back to X-Men, obviously, right. which we've talked about a lot, which I'm still, you know, really intrigued by. But, like, how do you – it's fun to go, oh, that's Hope Summers. That's Scott's daughter. Right. And then you get into the whole, like, you go on Wikipedia and you're like, well, is it Madeline Pryor? Is it Jean Grey? Is it, oh, God, which Black Queen? This is also confusing. And I, I think I've mentioned this before, but if you go to the, I want to say, Wikia, you know, fandom page for Magneto, it's mind-boggling how many different Magnetos there are, given all the universes and shows and offshoots but see that I think uh, that intrigues me now i want to just talk about that oh yeah well, we'll um, i'll write that down we'll look at it remind me we'll talk about that um but like i think it's a tough balance to get right because and you can we've talked about this you know so many times over the years but you take something like just the kind of shenanigans they pull with like okay so what was the big one where they have to fight on the planet that's secret war secret right? wars yeah first secret one. wars comes out and it's the, maybe one of the most gimmicky of gimmicks is like you've got to bring all the superheroes and it's going to become this series and it's crossovers and it's events and like that was a very gimmicky gimmick but you know it, what's funny is as a kid and i mean i was i was a kid i was in maybe high school or junior high you know uh-huh. watching that one I didn't feel like it was a gimmick. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, this is great, you know, but like as an adult, you're like, uh, yeah, this is how they want well, to sell more comics. No, it was, it was a gimmick. But, but, the, but the part that's funny about that is, but like what starts as a gimmick in whatever that was, the eighties. Yeah. 80s, yeah. Um, what starts as a gimmick then becomes a big tent pole of nostalgia. And you know, like, look at all the shenanigans they pull. Like, when I go to our library, which has a surprisingly good graphic novel and comics section, it's so funny to just read down the spines um, because they're usually organized by author. So, like, here's all the Bendises, you know, and all that. But, like, it's just so funny because, like, Secret Wars, well, there's also a really good, I guess you call it a graphic novel, called Secret War. And that's right. the one with the agent What's-Her-Head that looks like Angelina Jolie and uh, it's very Bendis-y. But you've got, you know, you get something like God Loves, Man Kills, and then that becomes something like Man Kills, God Loves, Man... And, like, all the little twist ups with the names. And it's like, it, it seems right on the edge of deliberately trying to make something confusing. But it also, I think from a psychological standpoint, kind of triggers, oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, I love when Wolverine had the brown outfit. It looks like this is going to go back to that. And there's now these different teams of X-Men. There's X-Force. And I know that that's been around for a while, but I don't, it must be really tricky to get the right mix of hitting the nostalgia buttons while also having something that can bring in new people. And at this point, we can reintroduce the whole franchise part of this, which is oh, like... Yeah. I think I don't. This might even have been official at a certain uh, point, but like the comics, I think for a while now have mostly been there to kind of prop up, you know, the, the franchises and to like support the current Avengers movie and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, so with James Bond, I don't know. James Bond, obviously, the a similar thing happens with Doctor Who, where one thing that the the innovation of Doctor Who that really still seems amazing is like, well, what if we had the actor in something close to the title role, 
let's not be pedantic. But like, we've got the doctor. Well, this guy's old and he's kind of confused. We want to get somebody else. Okay. Well, what if it's canon now that something can happen that makes the doctor quote unquote die and the doctor regenerates as still the doctor, but as basically a different person? Right. That's a, such a, a wonderful innovation. And then you can have lots of fun playing with aspects of their different personalities and playing with what they do and don't remember. And, you know, remember, these are time travelers. Like, their sense of time is really screwed up. Um, I mean, there's one episode, a really good Peter Capaldi episode, of uh, one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes, where he's basically in this castle for, I think, it's billions of years. <laughs> um, and it just gets this kind of a Groundhog Day thing. But... I don't know. Um, but it is also interesting what will and will not ring true with people like me at the height of my Doctor Who sentimentality uh, around the death of uh, the 11th Doctor, uh, Matt Smith. Like I had just seen the 50th anniversary episode, which is my all-time favorite episode of Doctor Who. And then pretty soon, I think maybe right after that, was the regeneration of well, the one where he dies. And it's, it's so corny. And of course, I still cried and cried. But it's just weird what will and won't punch your buttons and then you get somebody like with the daniel craig stuff where like that was a pretty as much as that was an origin story in some ways it's also a pretty hard reboot of the way the franchise had gone oh yeah and i mean you're bringing up a really good point is that and, and we, I yes like i'm just ranting no no and we see this in comics too is that it, is it is it a reboot or is it just the introduction of a new actor or a new more modern theme you know introducing a new actor there's there's a great scene um, when, uh, when Roger Moore walks into a room, uh, where Money Penny is, but instead of seeing Money Penny, he sees a m- much younger and very beautiful woman who seems to be like Miss Money Penny. And the joke is, well, they've just replaced James Bond. Perhaps they've replaced oh. Money Penny too. And he says, he makes a joke about it. And he looks at her and he says something, I'm paraphrasing. He says, um, you get more beautiful every day. And then the actual money penny sort of stands up and says, "James, I'm over here." Um, and so it's oh, kind of God, making so a little in joke about it. And you know, of course, there's a Lazenby joke where he kind of gets run down at the beach in the opening scene, and he says, "Well, this never happened to the other fellow." Um, you know, so he's making note of of that and kind of looks at the camera breaking the fourth wall when he says it. And like, there's there's so many things though that are repeated in the film once the films kind of get their their mojo working once they're like yeah these are the things that we do that are going to we're going to have a cold open it's going to be usually bond and some kind of caper that has nothing to do with the rest of the film he's just yeah. you're catching him in the last 10 minutes of some other caper some, some mission yeah. some mission that he was on and now he's you know now that's like the open then something crazy happens but there is this other so you have that and then you have, you know, of course, the scene where Bond comes into the office to report in and the little banter with Money Penny. Then you've got them figuring out what the thing is. Then he's got to go somewhere, usually involves skiing or a boat or an airplane. <laughs> and it's like these running like, across crocodiles. Right. And these like become the, the formula. You know, he's got to have the introductory scene with Q who gives him a gadget. Sometimes it's on location somewhere and he gets to see the gadgets. That was always my favorite part. But oh, God, yes. There are all these different things that may like one. Once, like I and I forget which movie it is where they're the first time there's all of them. And once and I think it was maybe the third or fourth 
Connery one, uh, but then Connery comes back to essentially redo Diamonds Thunderball, forever, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he he's away for he comes back after Lazenby, right? Yeah, for no, um, Diamonds Are Forever. No, um, yes, he does for that one. Yes, correct. But then I'm talking about the one later on where he comes oh, back, never, never say, never, say never, again. never again, which is, yeah, is right. the one we just finished a little while ago. It's so it's so bad. Yeah, um, and I've never seen it. I've heard it's bad. You have to watch it. You have to because th- the only reason you have to see this is so there were most of the Bond films, all except that one and the uh, the other one, the other weird Casino Royale. Um, they're all done by Eon Productions, and Cubby Broccoli yep. did those. So this one, Never Say Never Again, there was some kind of legal dispute where a different mm-hmm. production company somehow had the rights to Thunderball, so they wanted to redo Thunderball with. James Bond as played by Sean Connery in it. And that's what that film was. So it's not technically not really a James Bond film because sort of, sort of like the um, Marvel characters in Fox movies. E- exactly for a while. right. Exactly right. And like Where how, you can have you can have Quicksilver, but Quicksilver can't be, you know, Wanda's brother. And they can't call is, him mutants. can't be part of this team. Yeah, exactly. They right. have to yeah. just be like altered. And humans. they have fun with that in Deadpool. Oh yeah, um, which is such a good movie. I, I, but there's the one where like Colossus shows up with, um, <laughs> right? What's her name? Negasonic, uh, you know the girl. Yeah, what is? And, I forget what they called her. And they, but like, there's the great joke where Wade says something like, "You can only afford two X Men." <laughs> right. That's right. Um, uh, yeah. So it's um, you know all of these I think are are interesting little things, but like there's this one thing with these Bond movies that, um, you know that I think. Like when you watch them, you kind of realize that there is this formula, but the, when you're talking about nostalgia, it's like you then start to just expect those things. You start to want to see right, those. But things. I also love when they have fun with it, like with Ben, what's, what's it? So there's Q and M, um, right? Yes. So Q's the quartermaster, the supply person. Right. Um, the gadget guy. And yeah, but then so when they get Judy Dench to be Q and then Ben Wishaw as M, I love that actor. And like, I, I love the scene like where he meets James Bond, like at the art museum, you know, do you remember this? It's in, um, yes. I think it's in, I want to say, I, it seems like it's gotta be Skyfall, which is my favorite. Yeah. Um, Skyfall. So good. I mean, all the new you know, generation that movie made a billion really dollars. Did you know that? No, did it really? Yeah. I, I'm cheating and looking at the internet science site, but yeah. Uh, 1 billion, 108 million. Um, wow. That's pretty wild. But no, I, I like the way they have fun with that. And I, I think Judy Dench is really good. And you know who else is good as Ray Fiennes uh, as her boss? Um, I thought I think Skyfall's really good. But then, you know, it's also funny because, like, I think a lot of people have said this, but, you know, James Bond as a franchise feels pretty old and stiff and stodgy. And I think, I think a case, at least in our household, I mean, my kid loves Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't gotten her to watch it with the commentary yet, but if you, you should get cash, you should get that, the, uh, the forbidden commentary and, and listen to it. Oh yeah. Listen to people just going off on Guy Hamilton. It's so good. Um, Ken, Ken Scott, is that the guy's name? The, mm-hmm. um, production mm-hmm. designer guy. Oh my God. Those commentaries, they're out there. Um, they're so good. So basically Cr- Criterion had these laser, I think Laserdisc versions of these where they had <laughs> incredibly candid commentary from people who'd worked on the films. And it's basically like, I think I've got them here somewhere on Dropbox, but. And so what I, do you, what do you do? Do you, do you play the commentary yeah. like on another device at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It works pretty well. Um, 
But uh, what was I else going to say That's about? Cool. I got to uh, do that. Oh yeah, well uh, remind me. So remind, remind me about Magneto and remind me about commentaries. Right. Um, but what was I going to say about that? I threw myself off of this having fun. Oh, I think a case could be made very much in our household that our all-time favorite James Bond movies are three Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> Mission ones? Impossible movies, I, I, I always screw up the names of them, but I mean, I like all of them to an extent. Except but, the first one, I think they are all excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, you know, I think they got a feel for it pretty quick. But yeah. the, uh, you know, the one, I don't remember the names, I don't remember the numbers, but there's two in a row that I really liked. I liked the one where he's in the prison and, and oh you know, yeah yeah got to Benji escape the escape the is amazing of that the breakout uh, so stuff good. that's the so Burj good. Khalifa one also um I like the one you know I like that um speaking of reminiscence I like that what's, what's her name Rebecca Ferguson lady I like her a lot um but those couple those are like such like that's the uncut stuff in some ways it's so James Bond in some ways but like I don't know it's they've they've uh bent it to you know, make it work with whatever Tom Cruise is interested at the time, and and let's be honest, give some work to Ving Rhames because he's in all of them, and no one's sure why. No one's sure um, why. But uh, that can be exciting. Um, do, wait, do we we have a sponsor this week? Don't we? Yeah, we do. Do you want to tell me about it, and then we'll talk about Magneto and whatever the other thing was? Yeah, I would love to tell about Linode. Oh, Linode. So they made a special URL for our listeners. It's linode.com slash back to work. Um, go check that out. And you'll see why Linode, they, it has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. And for some reason in this read, it doesn't say and by me uh, because I vote them number one. So I'll have to add that. Uh, from their award-winning support, they've got 24 365 to every level. So even if you just have like a $5 a month server, you get the same support uh, that you would get. It's high quality support. They're really, really helpful. I have to tell you, everybody working there is like a super nerd. And I mean that in the absolute most best complimentary way. Um, they know how to help you. They understand everything and they do it in a way that doesn't make you feel like an idiot. And that's the important part. I think whenever you're giving support is hopefully the person that's helping you knows more than you, number one. And number mm -hmm. two, yep. they make you not feel stupid. And that's basically, you know, they're there to help you help you get stuff done and uh, they make it easy to get set up. There's tons and tons of resources in their knowledge base. So if you, like if you want to set up a web server, there's instructions for the tech stack that you want to build. If you want to set up a Minecraft server, if you want to have a place where you can put your development stuff, like whatever it is that you want to do, there is tremendous, tremendous documentation about it that's there to help you. It's really, really great. They have been in business since 2003, and they offer the best price to performance value for all compute instances. They've got shared, they've got dedicated, high memory, they've got GPUs if you're doing the Bitcoin stuff, and they have an upcoming bare metal release, which is, looks sounds really cool to me. So, you know, this is the thing. It's cloud computing, but they want it to be simple. They want it to be affordable, and they want you to focus on you, your projects, your customers, and not on your infrastructure. So they have a really cool deal for our listeners, Merlin. Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E, linode.com slash back to work. You make an account, that's free. It only costs money if you start adding servers. You can connect with your Google account, your GitHub account, or just use your email address. When you go to that URL, linode.com slash back to work, you're getting a hundred bucks in credit. Pretty awesome. That'll last you a long time. 
uh, over there. So go check it out. And uh, guess what, Merlin? Thanks very much to Linode for making this show possible. Thanks, Linode. Buck, buck. Everything, I just want to add, everything I do for 5 by 5 and uh, and Fireside is on Linode. Hmm. That, 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 that says something. They really should include something. you. They should include you in that. Ad. Why I, mean, I cannot find. That's weird. I can't find the commentaries, but I know I've got them. I don't see them on the back of my truck. I know I have them somewhere. And I feel like I've probably named it in a cute way. Ugh, dummy. It's got to be in here somewhere. You know, one thing that's neat is when Descript, you can set up Descript, that app I like, uh, that does transcription of audio yes. and editing. One of the things you can have it do is automatically put, a, and recently it's, it's added Markdown, but historically.txt, like it'll put a transcript in, in its own Dropbox folder. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. If I end up doing a search on Dropbox, um, it'll include those text files. And if I've mentioned something on a podcast, it'll pop up. It's kind of cool. That is very cool. That's, that's, that's one to grow on. Should we try and find Magneto? Yeah, I mean, tell me what's going on with uh, Magneto. What do you mean all the day? Because I know that, like, like, the one thing that I always wonder about in the comics, so, this is, I don't know if this is a plot hole or if this is just me being dumb. Mm-hmm. You remember how, um, how in, in the movie Logan, which I showed my son, <laughs> um, in that movie... Wolverine is uh, his his uh, healing power. Am I spoiling the movie? If I say spoiler, um, his healing powers have basically been burnt out. They've stopped working. He's and, really old and rickety. Yes, and the reason for the, that he is aging and that is having this problem, my understanding of it, is because he is uh, his his adamantium skeleton and has always been poisonous to his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a result of that, uh, it has been slowly killing him. And eventually it just, it just got to be too much. His body could not continue anymore and uh, it burnt out. And so now he's like old and dying. And the fact that he's still alive at all is because of the healing power that's still working. But if he takes additional damage, like if he gets shot or whatever, he no longer instantaneously heals. Um, to, to quote the uh, Ice King, this magic keeps me alive, but it's making me crazy. Yeah. So my question, <laughs> my question is, line. is if Magneto was around and he knew this was going on, couldn't he have gone to Magneto years ago before it was too late and mm-hmm. said, dude, like, you did it once before. Do it again. It's going to hurt. But get this skeleton out of me. Uh, get this adamantium uh, cover over my skeleton out. I just want to. I just want to go back to my regular. I don't self. know, man. Having watched uh, Chernobyl recently, I think. Um, I think you gotta. You gotta keep the sarcophagus in place. Yeah. I mean, if you take off that adamantium, you know, it could just be all crumbly bones. Crumbly bones. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. not. It's fun. We watched um, one. The one, one my kid likes is um, not God loves my man kills. But what's the movie with? Uh, oh, Days of Future Past. Yeah, which just takes a lot of liberties with everything. Everything. But it's pretty fun when he shows up in 1975 mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. and he, he does the claw pop. He snicks. Yep. yep. And out comes bones. Yep. Because he hasn't been coded yet. Correct. That's so fun. I love it. And we meet a young uh, young striker. Yes. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just sent you a link, uh, Dan. I will point out at this juncture that, uh, oh God, this is so funny. So uh, a trick that that I am uh, legally required to mention once a month 
if you're looking for something on Google and you know uh, what's what website it's on, you can even know what directory it's in. Site colon five by five dot tv slash b two w and the word Magneto. It's how I found the link to the mini Magnetos, and we do we do have an episode episode one eight four called Days of Bathrooms Past. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun to read. You got the 100-year problem. We're all waiting in the same line. Days of Bathrooms Past. That's funny. And Meg- Egg MacGuffin. Huh. It says the English uh, say too clever by a half. We'll put this in show notes. Dan, where would uh, people find show notes for uh, episode the, the, the 544? 544. It's program? going to be back to work.limo slash 544. <clears throat> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That's Can't make it one. up. Nope. So as previously featured in an earlier episode, uh, click on that link and scroll, scroll, scroll. Look at all those magnetos. Why are there so many? Universes. Oh. That's such a great thing when uh, in, um, in the Spider-Man Spider-Verse movie, when there's the scene of like all of the disruption in Brooklyn because Kingpin's doing the thing to get to his family. And you can see up on like a screen, you see all the numbers of the universes. That's a fun little Easter egg. Yeah, there are a lot. Look at all these different versions. Magus, the steam from Steampunk God World on Earth 20329. Zombies discover apes. Norman Osborn won the siege. Extopia, New Battle World, Haunted Mansion. Well, there's a lot here. This will be in notes. Hmm. That's good stuff. Um, oh, yeah, I know what else I was going to say. So anyway, that'll be in notes. Clicking the button. What was the uh, other yeah, thing you were going to say? Uh, it's nothing important. Oh, I do have some follow-up about my Nana Leafs. Um, oh, yeah, good. Are they still falling? Um, you know, uh, before I do that, because that's not interesting. I mean, why am I saying this? Why am I talking? I should prepare more. <clears throat> I'm still, I still got COVID brain. I got COVID brain. I got travel brain. I got a lot of different brains. Did you get, did you get COVID? No. Okay. No, no, sorry. I got pandemic brain, I should say. Um, I, I have this list of, like I said, I've got this list of things where I'm in between, like not really, uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the app Obsidian. I've been thinking a lot about stress and trauma. I've been reading and hearing a lot about that. And um, in our house currently right now, third item, because it's always three things with me, is uh, our household, especially my kid and me are obsessed with uh, community. Which I never got into before for no particular reason, but now we're watching it and really enjoying it. And related to what we were talking about a minute ago, mm-hmm. I read this on the Wikipedia page for community, and I knew one of these things, and I hadn't thought about the other thing, but I'm going to read you these two. Have you heard of uh, Dan Harmon's, I guess, semi-famous story circle idea? I... I'm going to say no. Could you tell me about it? Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, section 4.3 writing. Each episode of Community is written in accordance with Dan Harmon's template of story circles that he developed uh, while at Channel 101. Harmon rewrote every episode of the show, um, which helped lend the show's particular voice, DLD. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty neat idea. Um, let me find it. Um, so... It's a circle. Oh, damn it. Where is it? I found it somewhere. I sent it to Alex. Let me go check in there. But it's this idea of storytelling. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's similar to other kinds of story things you've heard before. But the idea is that every story, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, 
every story travels in a circle. And now I can't find it, but I will find it for notes. I am so, so sorry. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Oh, here it is. Short story structure 101. Um, so there's a circle. So it says here, um, uh, that I draw a circle and divide it in half vertically, then divide the circle again horizontally, starting from the 12 o'clock position and going clockwise. Number the points, the four points where the lines cross the circle, which is one, three, five, and seven. And so basically here's these eight parts of the circle. Number one, a character is in a zone of comfort. Two, but they want something. Three, they enter an unfamiliar situation. Four, they adapt to it. Five, they get what they wanted. The six, they pay a heavy price for it. <laughs> Seven, they return to their familiar situation. Eight, having changed. And uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about that. I think that's super interesting. It Somebody, sounds um, really comprehensive. I'll put it in notes because it also it reminds me a little bit. There's all these different ways. There's, you know, people say there's three kinds of stories. There's seven kinds of stories. There's 32 kinds of stories. But, you know, and there's the Joseph Campbell stuff. But, like, I think one of my favorite, dis- I don't know who to credit for this. I'll add it to the quotes file. But somebody once described the three-act structure of a play or a movie or whatever as... Right. I mean, and there's a lot of like, so like, you know, obviously your main character is probably somebody who you're going to like or pull for, but you've got a protagonist and in the first act, the protagonist gets chased up a tree. In the second act, we throw apples at the protagonist while they're up in the tree. And in the third act, we see how, whether and how they got down from the tree and how they were different as a result. Isn't that pretty good? I like that. Yeah. Yeah, But then here's the part I need to spend more time on. So that was the first paragraph of section 4.3 on writing. Um, God, we just, I watched this episode twice in the last day because it's so good. Um, uh, the show is well known for its frequent use of thematic episodes, which use cliches and television tropes as single episode concepts that play with suspension of disbelief while maintaining a continuity of the plot. Um, so, like, there was one, this amazing episode, like I say, I watched twice, where Abed, played by the wonderful Danny Pudi, there's, the, like, a dance that's happening in the cafeteria, and there's going to be another dance happening in the cafeteria, and Shirley wants to set Abed up with a lady from church, and Annie wants to set, set him up with this manic pixie dream girl, and he decides, just on the basis of it being a funny trope, to do it, because it would be the sitcom trope of having to go on two dates mm-hmm. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Um and then uh, and Brie Larson appears in it. She's really good in it. Um, but he's very into um, semiotics, and I want to learn more about how that all fits together. As you can tell, I haven't prepared anything for this, but but this is what I'm thinking about. This is our concern, dude. I'm thinking about uh, I'm thinking about uh, semiotics, you know, in story. I'll come back to that. Okay, circle back. Yeah. So my my nano leaves fell off the wall again, again? as you know. Well, no, ba, ja, ba, ba. I can't, last week, I came in, I put my bottom in my seat, and ka-chuk, pa, pa, pa. everything goes down. Uh, how many is that? I think it's 17, 17 or 19. Enough to make these uh, three, three, four, five. Five beautiful interlocking hexagons. Interlocked. Interlocking. And Interlocked. they all fell down. So I, you know what I did? I went to the hardware store, and I went and I got the heaviest heavy mounting tape that I could find to give it a fourth try. And so far, they've stuck up. I got I got the Scotch brand Extreme mounting tape, and so far they're holding up. I, now I don't think it's going to stay forever because as I as I stipulated, I think my walls might be a little bit wet. But we'll see. We'll see how it I, goes. Someone was wrote in and said what you need. Oh yes, um, 
One of our listeners wrote in and said yeah. what you need to do about the, the wet walls. Mm, what's that? I can't remember. Oh, well, you know, these are old walls. Uh, the, the walls were built in the, I think, I think early nineties and they're, you know, I, I, I don't think great pains were taken, uh, but they're, they're, they're kind of nubbly. It's not like a popcorn ceiling, but they're a little bit nubbly. And I think that it has trouble gripping. So I'm going to do what I can with that. You know, uh, I really like the lights. It's very pleasant. It's very pleasant. I've got some strips. I got some shapes and it, it makes it very pleasant in here. And, and still at any time I could have them all turn on super bright. You know, I can make them warm. I can make them cool. I can make them blue. Something borrowed. I could do whatever I want. They're my lights. I bought them. So, you know. Do we want to talk a little bit about the smart devices thing? Oh, sure. I'm game. I have, I'm literally out of ideas. Um, I'm sitting here talking about the TV show uh, Community. Brie Larson was on, though. It was quite a surprise. You know who I'm talking about here? I'm talking about Envy Adams. I'm talking about Captain Marvel. She was on. Now, don't be confused because Allison Brie is also on. It's not Allison Brie Larson. It's not? It could be. Could be. I watched. I started watching Glow last night to see if that would be fun to watch with my kid. It's got a lot of boobs and nookie, so there might be a lot of fast over daddy, you know? Uh, right, right, right. You know? Because at one point she's on the, in the, the top layer and they're just kind of swinging around. I thought that's, you know, maybe a, a bridge too far just, you know, for this particular time. Is the moisture that's on the walls? It's not moisture. I was joking. There's no actual moisture. They just, they, 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 things don't stick. Especially have you considered these, attaching something to the wall and then attaching the lights to the thing that's I attached have. to the wall? I have, like almost like a like a bulletin board for lights. Yeah, yeah. You could do like a like um, you know, some kind of uh, superstructure. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of what that could be. Like, you don't want plywood up there; it looks horrible. Yeah, I mean, part of the challenge with this, I mean, like anybody cares, but part of the challenge with these is so. In this case, these are called the nano leaf shapes, and they're hexagons. And they strap together with these little flimsy clips, right? So basically, you've got a power source going to one of your nano leafs. And then, so that nano leaf then will have a little dingus that clips into one of the six sides, which then it's very you know, clever and generally nominally. And then that clips to another of your nano leafs solely for the purpose of getting power to all of them. It's not intended to be something that holds it together. The way that these things stay up is by adhesive that you put on this little spinny thing at the center of each one of these. And then once you get one right, you get it leveled, then you can add other ones. But it's a bit of a trial. Um, now that I've done it at least five times, I'm getting better at it. But, uh, and I'm using way more clips than they recommend. I bought two extra packs of clips because oh, dang. I don't know. I have this fantasy that it'll all fit together, but the, the lights are nice. What's going on with your smart stuff? We haven't, we haven't caught up with your tech in a while. You've no, a it's computer. been, a, it's, yeah, it's been a little while. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't. I've got time for one more segment probably, right? Yeah. I've still been researching yeah. this stuff. I've still been looking into what would be the best way to do it. I still feel like for me, Philips Hue set up with the little hub thingy is probably the best thing to do. But like, it's, it's weird because I feel like we are with this technology, we are going to be seeing changes with it still. And I feel like any mm -hmm. investment that I make now, which is fine, by the way, 
But I feel like any investment we make now is going to be a temporary investment. Like I'll use it. It might work for a year or two, and then there'll be some other newer, better technology out there. And but if what, you wait too long, then you're John Syracuse and you've got a plasma TV <laughs> from 1978. He won't just bite the bullet and buy a TV. Like a, I bought two T in the time that I've done a podcast with John Syracuse and I'm not like a fancy lad. I've, I've purchased and two different TVs and he's still like waiting for like whatever. Oh, I got to get the right cadence of the CPU and the fans are loud. You know, he's got all every reason in the world, but I'm just like, dude, you got the money. Just buy a TV. Yeah. Stop doing this to your family. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna die without having a new TV, and everyone's gonna be so sad. I know. And he was he's, all this time he hasn't been enjoying anything. You know. No, he's always got a, he's always got the flu. So I'm I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay in, with the concept of saying, you know what we we need to have uh, something, and I'm gonna spend some money on something that won't last that long. Like okay, like uh, that's that's fine. But mm-hmm. but. Um, but it's a balance. It's a balance. It's, I take your point though, because it is a balance of like understanding. Even years into this, at this point, I mean, I'm telling you, I you would not believe how much wrestling I've got to do with even something as solid as Hugh. Like my Zigbee channels were all goofy the other day. I had to change all of that, and that's a trial. We got to turn all the lights on, which means then resetting all the tap switches. And that this is at home where I took everything off of Home Assistant. Mm. So like I finally was like, I got my family's going to kill me if stuff keeps going out for no apparent reason. But I'm with you. There's a balance to be struck. Realizing I don't need need this stuff. But I do, even as an early adopter, I'm enjoying this. But you do have to temper that with, well, if this Google, Apple, everybody alliance ever comes together, yeah. like what's that going to mean? What is what is Thread going to mean in the next three years? And like you don't want right. to have $500 in sunk cost, you know, for well, something that's Well, what's interesting is you, you mentioned Apple. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, as, as, as one often does, um, what is it that that has made Apple so successful? Mm-hmm. Because there's there's a reason why they're mm-hmm. successful, and I don't think Take it's something one... everybody thought was a commodity and figure out how to make it better and charge more. Yes, uh, that is certainly one aspect of it. Um, another aspect of it, or another thing that I think Apple does well, is they they are ahead mm-hmm. of the curve when it comes to identifying a cool new technology and rolling it out. And so think about the original Airport. The it looked like a UFO. Do you remember? Oh, those? it had like a like a little conical top. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it looked legit like a UFO, which was really really cool. Inside of this thing, it just had an airport PCM CIA card and a tiny little circuit board, and that was it. But Apple figured out how to do this and how to make it look cool, and it was white, and it had, or maybe the first one was gray, kind of. Mm-hmm. But they it looked really cool. It was a neat little thing, and inevitably, yeah, I Eventually mean, they added a hard drive. They added back to my Mac. They made yeah. it easier for that to be the way in and out of your household exactly and i it just it really seemed like that ushered in the era of wi-fi and it wasn't the only one it wasn't the first one i had a linksys one before that but Mm -hmm. you know they brought it out and they had an app that would made it easy to configure and i think the Eero sort of emerged as the better cooler way to do it and now for that same kind of experience of i just want something i can plug in and that's going to be easy for a non-technical person to set up like era wins big time but that's something that that i think we need to see in i mean what what we want with this lighting thing 
is we want to go and get a bulb and put it in a lamp and it's now it just works and it understands and you can then go to some pretty interface and say, hmm, at seven mm-hmm. o'clock at night, put this light on and turn this one off. And if it's raining, do this with them. You know, like that's what you want to do. You don't want to have to actually think about the implementation. You don't want to set it up. And if you remember like the days of like um, setting up your entertainment system in your house, like there were companies, there still are, uh, but they're all very like high end. But like it was impossible to have like a surround sound system in your own house. You couldn't really do that unless you really knew what you were doing. You had to hire someone to like install the speakers and the ceiling and the walls and run all the cabling. And like, yeah, maybe there's like one of your buddies might be able to help you do it. But realistically, you're going to hire a company to do that. Mm-hmm. And now you can do all of that stuff with all of the Apple stuff and the Alexa stuff and oops. Um, Alexa, stop. Um, and it's like really cool that you can just like, I have music playing throughout the whole house just by saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, play this on everywhere. And it's just playing in everywhere. And like, that's insanely amazing. And if you wait for these, uh, Amazon ones to go on sale, you can get the dots for like 25 bucks and the big ones for like 50 bucks. And they usually do a few sales in the year. And then you're mm-hmm. in every room of your house or pretty much it has music in it. Like that, that's what we want, you know, and you just turn it on, you plug it in, you turn it on and it says, oh, I, I see what's going on here. I'm connected. Like, that's so cool. That's how easy it should be. And that's what I want to get to with these bulbs. And and I feel like yeah, yeah, having, yeah. you know, people, I, I understand the whole privacy concern about everything. And, and like, I get that. But if you don't care about that kind of thing or you're not concerned about it or you trust the companies that own the devices that you're putting into place. Well, you see, you see enough of a trade off in what you perceive to be happening. Uh, I agree with you. That's it's but it is it's funny how like I feel like this era sort of kicked off and got got big really with the uh, Amazon tube products um, because they weren't terribly expensive. Right. And you know, I, but, but the thing is, okay, let's, how can I describe this? I've gone through all these oscillations and waves as I've played with this stuff for years now and spent actually a, a probably shocking amount of my time doing something related to home automation, smart home, whatever you want to call it. If you include the Synology with that, like it's yeah. practically a part-time job. I've got, I've got my fourth hard drive of the week in there repairing right now just to like increase my capacity a little bit because I'm really conservative. I do SHR2. I do the like paranoid one. But um, anyways. Uh, so this is the one that uses more space to create more redundancy. You can have two disks fail. Right. Which is probably too, it's probably overly conservative. But, but like, okay, so for example, like it's just, I don't know. It feels like there's something useful or meaningful in this to me. Okay, so you get your Amazon device and you hook it up. It's pretty cool that, you know, I mean, in a way, the Amazon Tube device was in some ways almost like a, the way I used a Mac at one point. It, just in the sense of I was not using it, like this is a, a poor analogy, but like I had a – the Macs that I used up until – the well, it, was, it wasn't until the mid '90s that I got a modem that I could use at home. But like at work and at school, it just basically went to a printer, maybe a file server, right? You know, maybe there was a FileMaker database where you'd scream <laughs> across the office, "Please remember to close this when you're done, otherwise it crashes." Um, but 
And in some ways, that's that's more like what the Amazon product was to me. Like you would ask it questions. You would, you know, you could use it for timers. You could ask, but it was like really closer to a book than a computer network. Mm-hmm. It was really more like a big book. And then I think it's, I mean, I, I might be remembering wrong, but like, yeah, there was some home automation stuff to it. But a lot of it was like, it was just this clever, like speaker. It was, I think, mainly marketed as a speaker. Yeah. That could also do stuff with your voice, and that's cool. And they were very, I feel like they were very aggressive with signing, to basically working with everything, in the same way that Netflix wants to run on your, you know, your ice maker, probably. Um, But, so what do you do? You go, this is really cool. Like, what do I need to do to, like, make my lights turn on and off? Well, you have a couple different routes. You can, you know, like I say, you can go the hub route or the non-hub route, but, like, but then also you, so let's say you get a Hue system. Well, in my house, it's not fun to have to talk to turn on the lights. It's to have to talk to turn on the lights. Because as we all know, if somebody goes and uses the switch like a person who's had the same technology work flawlessly for the last hundred years, mm-hmm. like that screws it up. So now you put covers over light switches because that's the kind of monster you are now. <laughs> right. So now your family has to go talk to a lamp to have light. Right. And people hate that. But you see, this is this is this kind of ebb and flow, back and forth. Things get better. Like I have got, I had gotten stuff so tricked out and set up in my house, and I don't know what happened. But and I'm not blaming Hugh. I'm not blaming anything. But like, uh, Hugh has been pooping the bed a lot lately. The, the 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 small bits of the pellets of poop are just when it's not responsive and I have to reboot it, like power cycle it. That sucks. The one that really sucks, though, is where it just seems to get very forgetful in how it works with HomeKit. So sometimes when it poops the bed, it forgets everything. It forgets what's in what room. It forgets. And I do a full sync. So in Hue, you can go in and say, sync everything from here to HomeKit. Yes, it's okay to overwrite whatever's there, but there's no elegant solution to that forgetfulness because guess what all those automations all those scenes all those things like if you're not careful that all just goes away and Mm. then you've got to recreate it so i can't tell you how many times i've recreated the automation that when when there's motion detected in the bathroom after 9 p.m and the light is off turn it on for five minutes and that just it just stops working and that's my clue usually like oh i see it pooped the bed again. Mm. And I, I, I'm, not, I, that's, I'm putting that too strongly, but it's, it just goes to show you, though, that we are still at a fairly early adoption phase, not least, again, to, to paraphrase Syracusa, you know, Apple has put a certain amount of wood behind the arrow of automation and HomeKit, but it's obviously not, as my friend Marco would say, it's not a, not a priority. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's still the home app is still a garbage fire almost everywhere. If you really wanted to use that the way you would use any app, like how do you? So like when my Nano Leaf accident, well when I when I accidentally uh, unintentionally add twenty new scenes to HomeKit to delete them, that's like a three or four click process. There's no multi select to say do something to all of these or delete oh, all of right, these. Right, yeah. <clears throat> like you would in like with Gmail messages or something. Right. There's not that level yet. It's still cute. It's still little, little tipsy teaspoons of stuff that work fine as long as you don't really use it. Well, that sounds negative <laughs> when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
but it is it is kind of great um when it when it all works but i'm with you i'm i'm very curious to see where stuff goes next um and i wonder why do you suppose so do you know the name of that what's the name of that initiative no, I know it's what you're all, talking it's about. It's on, it's off, it's this, it's that. You keep hearing all these different colliding reports that all, all the smart, the big players in, uh, as they say, big tech <laughs> and home automation are working on some kind of a shared standard. Is that correct? Uh, that is my understanding of it. What is it called? Shared home automation. Somebody's screaming a noun right now, I'm sure. Um, uh, chip? Does that sound right? Sure. Yes. Chip, chip, chip. Uh, Amazon, Apple, and Google's open source smart home standard is on track for a 2021 launch. Aha, that's as of September. Uh, Project Connected Home over IP, a.k.a. Chip. So what's the latest on that? You know, I mean, anytime you see like any, like where these guys are supposed Mm. to be working together on a thing. I mean, I'm always very skeptical of that because like that just mm. never, when has that happened historically? I was just, uh, that's the reason I brought it up though. I'm wondering what, and I, I'm, I honestly don't know the answer to this, but what do you suppose gave those companies the incentive to work together, especially given how much they deliberately, well, for different reasons in different product lines, uh, deliberately will exclude each other sometimes. I mean, want to do that. well, I don't know because like, wouldn't it like, okay, so they're working on that and that seems cool. But at the same time, like, wouldn't it be nice if your Google devices that you use to play music could just also play synchronized music with your Amazon devices? Like that doesn't seem oh, totally. like too I much mean, totally. to ask. I mean, okay, so I'm looking Does at, it? Uh, it doesn't seem like too much to ask. I'm looking at Project Chip. On uh, GitHub, it says it's called Matter now, I guess. Does that sound right? Matter, formerly Project Chip, is creating more connections between more objects. Uh, That sounds like BS. Oh, and it's related (laughs) to Zigbee. Oh, great. I'm still going to be in my Zigbee world. Anyways, um, oh, some of the builds are failing, just so you know. Oh, no. Oh, no. They they didn't run their unit test, if you know what I mean. I know. Build with Matter. I will put this in show notes. Dan, I think we've run our course for this episode. I'm a, I'm a pony this week. I'm a little horse. Do you hear me? <coughs> I'm a horse. Yeah, what's going on with you? Is that your, Just yelling um, at my family, just yeah. so drunk and angry, so belligerent. I wake them up and I say, it's daddy's yelling time. Yeah. Get get up, get up, take, take, off, take off your headphones. I'll give you something to cry about. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. Matter is the foundation for connected things. I'll put this in notes. Um... And so, um, oh, you know, to, to, hey, everybody, remember tomorrow's rabbit, rabbit, first words out of your mouth on the morning, your dirty whore mouth, the first words out of your mouth when you wake up on the 1st of September, 2021, you say rabbit, rabbit. You think they're going to remember? Good luck all month. You think they're going to remember? It might take a few months, but you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, not, not even the rain had such small expectations, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> hmm. Who is that? Is that, is that not, not A.A. Milne? Who wrote that? E.E. E. Cummings? I believe so, yes. C.C. Ryder? Who was it? No, it was E.E. E. Cummings. J.J. Arms? E.E. E. Cummings. <laughs> I should get examined. Are you all right? You're going to be, you need to lay down? I might or? need to lay down, yeah. I think. Let me go see if they're done fumigating my office at the foot of Coit Tower. Ugh. Nope, still at it. Still doing it. Still doing it. Termites. Um, Let's button this up. Okay. Okay. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin Man.